Welcome to the Cure Church Lee Summit Podcast. Here at the Cure Church, we believe Jesus is the cure for whatever you may be going through. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, we pray this week's message encourages you. So listen, last week we spoke about a man that was called by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. That was not his real name. That wasn't on his birth certificate. They just called him Blind Bartimaeus because he was blind. And this was the man who I love because this was the man who refused to accept his visionless identity. Listen to me. He refused to accept his visionless identity. And when he heard, somebody say heard. Heard that Jesus was near. The Bible says that he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he began to scream. People told him, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Shut it up, amen. We don't want to hear it. And the Bible says he got even louder. See, that's what we need to do when the enemy tries to shish you. When the enemy tries to quiet you down, you need to get louder for the things of God, amen. And the Bible says that he got so loud that he got the attention of Jesus. Jesus heard his cry call for him. Bartimaeus on his seat threw off his cloak, his garment that showed that he was a blind man, threw it off, ran to God, amen. And and then God said, Jesus said that your faith has made you well. Your faith is what healed you. And I love this, amen, that Jesus asked him before he said your faith is healed. He said, what do you you want? He said, I want to see. And Jesus knew that he wanted to see. But there's something about us speaking our miracle. There's something about us releasing, amen, and speaking our miracle into the atmosphere. You know why? Because it takes faith to speak it out loud. Come on, somebody. It takes faith to speak it out loud. Listen, if you're fearful that it'll never happen or you're afraid someone might hear, you'll never speak it. But our faith allows us, amen, to speak what is not here yet into existence. Come on, are you with me this morning? Glory, glory. Amen. So I want to follow up what we talked about. And it's, it's, it's powerful because what I'm about to talk about this morning actually takes place as Jesus was also making his way through Jericho, like we talked about with Bartimaeus last week. He's on his way through Jericho. He's going to Jerusalem for the Passover. And if you're you're new and maybe you don't know what the Passover is, I always want to explain that because I want you to know what's going on. Passover was an event that was celebrated every year by the Jewish people. Passover was something that was celebrated because way back in Egypt, when God began to bring plagues upon Egypt, the last plague that he brought was the death of every firstborn. So whether it's a firstborn of animals, firstborn of people, he brought the spirit of death, amen, that everyone who had a firstborn son would pass away. And the Bible says that God instructed Moses for the Jewish people that if you don't want the spirit of death to touch your house, so you take the blood of a lamb, put it over your doorpost, and that spirit of death would pass over. And they celebrated that miracle every year. So this is where Jesus is going. He's with his his disciples. They're on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover, but you go through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. And The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, that Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. There was a man, verse 2, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, I want to start right here just to give you an idea of what kind of man we're talking about. This, you know, we, we, I'm talking about vision, and last week we were talking about the miracle of Bartimaeus having his sight restored, uh, but this is also going to be a miracle. Not the miracle you think it is, but this is the miracle that's about to happen. So like Matthew, which we talked about a little while ago, this man Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. 
And if you don't know what kind of task letters there were back then, you would think, well, my RS guy, he's pretty cool. What's wrong with him? He's all right. He gives me money back. This ain't the kind of people I'm talking about. Now, a tax collector was a Jew most times who collected taxes from Jewish people on behalf of Rome. They weren't collecting it for their own people, for their own, you know, raising money for highways and this and that. They were raising it for Rome. So not only did the people have issues paying the taxes that were levied on them, which were a lot, to Rome, but these tax collectors, on top of collecting what they were collecting from Rome, they would always add a little bit more extra. So let me give you an example. So if a family back then owed $100 for taxes, all right, you with me? Owed $100 for their taxes. The tax collector would come to their door, knock on their door, and say, hey, taxes are due. Wasn't no refunds. Wasn't like, you know, hey, I got four kids. What kind of deductible? And none of that stuff going on. So he comes and says, you owe money. Okay, how much do I owe? In reality, he owed $100. The tax collector would say, you owe $150. So they would take the $150, give Rome their 100 and keep 50 They would go next door and do the same thing over and over and over again. Now, a chief tax collector was one who oversaw all the people doing this stuff, so he not only made money from him collecting taxes, but for all the people under him collecting taxes. So this man was, he's good, he's wealthy. So tax collectors in that time were people that were looked down on. They were rich in finances, but watch this, they were poor in character. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse one, that we are to choose a good reputation over riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Let me say it one more time. Choose a good reputation over great riches. We think in the time we live in, the more money I have, the more respect, the more power. Not according to the word of God. If you did all of that to get all the money you get, but you did it in crooked ways, listen, your name is horrible. And a name is more important than your money. So these tax collectors, they were outsiders. They were looked down upon. They were despised by Jewish people because they knew that they were being stolen from. They weren't, they knew, they weren't dumb to think, I really owe $150. They knew that this tax collector has charged me more than what is due, but there's nothing I can do about it. So they did not like these people at all. And this is the kind of man that we're going to talk about this morning in regards to having vision. The Bible says in verse 3 of our text that he tried to get a look at Jesus. We're talking about Zacchaeus now, the chief tax collector, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. Come on, we're talking about a rich, wealthy man running. He ran ahead just in case someone else tried to get his tree, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. So listen, just like we talked about in these last few weeks, the crowds are all around Jesus. He was a walking, talking miracle. There's signs, there's wonders, there's healings. Everything's happening around him. People just wanted to get close to him. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, there's this huge crowd, and she had to push through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment to get her miracle. So there's people all around Jesus. Like I said before, they're throwing babies at him. They're doing everything. Jesus! So they just want to get close. They want to be noticed. So Zacchaeus wanted to see this man again because people have been talking about Jesus. Zacchaeus had no prior knowledge, but everyone's talking about this Jesus, this way maker, the miracle worker. They're talking about he's doing all these things. He's healing the sick, amen. The blind, see, all these things. They just want to get close. So Zacchaeus wanted to see what everyone's talking about. But the issue was this. Zacchaeus was a little guy. I wonder if he had that little man issue. (laughs) 
You know what I'm talking about? Like, because I'm little, I'm going to try to, you know, maybe that's why he got into tax collecting. I may be little, but I got bank. I'm rolling. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk about it later in heaven. So listen, he's a little guy. He was a short man, short in stature. He couldn't see over the crowds. I could just imagine. If you know me, you know, I'll read the Bible. I want to put myself there. And I can imagine Zacchaeus was probably doing one of these numbers at first. He's all the crowds. You're like, And then he ran. I got an idea. I'm going to go climb this tree up. So he goes. And you, again, you got a picture. A wealthy man. I mean, he probably had on the nice clothes, nice shoes, nice everything. And here's this dude running, breaking a sweat, climbing up a tree. And you know what he did, though? Climbing up a tree. Who, who, who climbs up trees? Kids do. So what Zacchaeus did was this. He took on the posture of a child climbing a sycamore fig tree just to get a look at Jesus. Let me tell you why that's important. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of God. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is so loaded. My wife's been talking about that. We, we get too grown up. You ain't that grown in the kingdom to think you know it all, you got it all together. Jesus said you need to take the posture of a child. He, listen, this is important. Unless you turn from your sin and become like little children again, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You know what he's talking about? When kids are real little, you can tell them anything, and they'll believe it. Tell them anything, and that's how God is calling us to be. I remember I, my, when Louis was a lot younger, three, four, something like that, I told him, hey, I got rocket boosters in my car. And then when we're driving, he said, Dad, Dad, do the rocket boosters. And I like turn on a windshield wiper or something. I don't know. Just, and then I go a little faster. He was all excited. Yeah. And he got a little older. He's like, Dad, you still got rocket boosters? <laughs> no, son, I was just joking around with you. He said, I knew it. So you didn't know it. You didn't know it. You, you thought I had rocket boosters. But the kids, they, did, they just, they'll believe you. They'll take you for your word. And that's what God is calling us to do with him, to take him at his word, at the word of God. Amen. What he says that we need to believe it and activate our faith once again. And he goes on and says, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child. You imagine kids, when you, when you speak into their life, them having an attitude with you, whatever. Kids, well, no, some of you are like, yeah, okay. Well, little kids, smaller ones, I mean, don't do that. Most times when you, when you have to get onto a kid, they just kind of look at you. Or they look down. But they receive it. But when you get a little too grown, you don't receive correction anymore. No, no one can rebuke you. No one can speak into your life no more. And Jesus is saying, we have to get back to the posture of a little child again. He said this. So anyone who becomes as humble as his little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is not a small thing, church. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and all I got to do is become humble like a child. You know why the reward is so great for something so small? Because even though it's so small, people have a hard time doing it. I'm going to ask you this morning, how desperate are you to see Jesus? I want you to, I mean, come on, let this, let this question resonate in your very spirit and your being. 
How desperate are you to see Jesus? What are you willing to do, amen? What, what, how, how far are you willing to go? Because listen, here's the truth. You cannot have proper vision if you can't see the vision giver. What are you willing to do? What posture are you willing to take to look at him? Listen, if you want to get close to Jesus, you got to go higher. You got to go higher. This was a wealthy man. He was able to buy anything that he wanted, willing to pay to get people to do whatever he wanted, but he didn't have enough wealth to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Listen, are you willing this morning to put yourself in a position that seems crazy to everyone else around you? Come on, just to get close enough, just to get a look, just to be able to put your eyes on Jesus Christ. Listen, when you go through extremes, it may not make sense to everyone, but so what? It don't have to make sense to everybody. People go, it don't make sense what they're doing. Listen, it makes sense to me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know, amen, the issues in my life. I'm just trying to get close to God. I just got to put eyes on him. I got to get near to him, amen? Listen, the things you do for God, what you do unto God, won't always make sense to people. Won't always make sense to your family and to your friends. You can't always please everyone around you. And don't even try, because you will drive yourself crazy. But it's up to you to make the decision to do whatever it takes, regardless of how foolish it makes you look. No matter how foolish it looks or sounds, just get your eyes on Jesus. Why do you worship like that? What is it to you? What is it to you? Because I love him. Listen, when David came into town with the Ark of the Covenant and he was worshiping, he was sacrificing animals every six steps, his wife, Michal, looked out the window and said, wow, what a man of dignity. Stripping down and worshiping like that in front of the maid service. You know what he said? I love what he said. He said, lady, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm about to get even more undignified in my worship. I'm about to get more crazy in my worship. You ain't seen the tip of the iceberg, amen? Because listen, when you love God enough, you don't care what people think. Why do you get your hands up? Why do you get your hands down? Let that be the question, amen? Why are you worshiping so crazy? Why ain't you worshiping at all? Don't you know how good God is? See, listen, if you only knew what I've been through, if you know what I've gone through, if you knew what it took just to get here this morning, you would know why I worship God the way I worship God. You will know why I'm not afraid to make a fool out of myself because of him. Forgiven of much, love much. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is new every morning. That's why I get up and worship. That's why I read my Bible. That's why I'm undignified in your eyes. Are you the pastor? You ain't supposed to be worship like that. The devil is a liar. I lead worship, amen, to be an example to the rest of the body that this is how you worship. I don't care about being dignified in your eyes. I care about being dignified in his eyes. If God is pleased, I'm pleased. If God's good, I'm good. Listen, if you ain't good and God's good, then you just ain't good. It is what it is. Because listen, I've been a pastor long enough. I ain't even going to try to please everybody. But I'm going to try to please the audience of one. And if I please the audience of one, I'm good. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be all right. You'll be good. If you ain't good, God will convict you later. You'll repent of your sins. You'll get right. Amen? I don't care, man. Listen, sometimes you need to make a fool of yourself because that'll shatter the pride in your life. Well, I'm too good to do all that. 
know how long it took me to put this makeup on? I've been up since three o'clock in the morning. I think I'm a sweat. <laughs> Listen, the Bible says, this is Paul speaking. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, instead. So obviously Paul was speaking of some things in his letter to the Corinthian church as he opened up, but he's talked about all these things and he says, instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. So, so here's the deal. Too many people are wise in their own eyes. You need to become a fool again for the kingdom of God. You need to get real foolish for the things of God. Don't be a fool, but you need to become a fool in your own eyes and say, I don't know nothing no more, God. I just need you. I don't want to feel like I got it all together. What if you think you're powerful in your own eyes? You need to become powerless because, listen, I don't want my own wisdom. I don't want my own power. And the only way I get God's power is to be powerless. The only way I get God's wisdom is to become a fool. I need what God has. Amen. I don't want what I'm able to get. I'm just like anybody else. I want the presence of God. Amen. So God will go about using foolish things, the things we think are foolish, to confound the wise. So the wise will say, why is God using somebody like that? Why, listen, how was he able to get that such a great a victory, amen? He, he ain't got the knowledge, he ain't been to Bible school, he ain't did this and do that. You know how God does that? Because God says, when I bring a victory to somebody who you thought would never have the victory, then I get the glory and not them. I get the glory. God is going to use the ones, amen, who will lift up his name, who will pass the glory onto him and not take it for themselves. When you get revelation, you give it to God. Oh, man, God showed me something. Not, oh, man, look what I found. I'm so good. I got the mind of God. Are you hearing me this morning? So I don't want to be wise in my own eyes. I don't want to be powerful in my own eyes. If God sees me, I want God to see me as a fool who needs learning. I want him to look at me as powerless who needs his strength. Where I'm weak, God is strong. At this moment, listen, Zacchaeus, he's hungry to get close to God. He's desperate, too desperate to let Jesus go by without seeing him. Listen, we've been saved too long, and we're okay not seeing him no more. We're okay. Well, if I see him, I see him. If I don't, I don't. It's all good. Any opportunity we get to see Jesus, we need to make a fool of ourselves just to get there. We need to climb trees. We need to run ahead of everybody else. Come on. I, I just imagine this, amen. Everyone's walking. Oh, Jesus coming and walking and just Zach, he's running. Run to God. I'll get there and walk to God. The problem is this. You walk and you just might not make it. Run to God, amen? So regardless of what everyone thought about him as this rich tax collector, he climbed up a tree. Imagine a grown man, not just a grown man, but like a short grown man. It's just it's a little funnier looking out, ain't it? With, with scarlet on, you know, nice clothes, and he's climbing up a tree. Maybe he stumbled a few times. Maybe he's like, oh, God, things are breaking. Oh, oh. But he, he goes up. And when Jesus came by, verse 5, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Remember, Zacchaeus had no prior knowledge of who Jesus was. But Jesus knew who he was. 
And Jesus, before he even saw Zacchaeus, knew that Zacchaeus was posturing and positioning himself, going out of his way, running ahead of the crowds, climbing up a tree just to get a glimpse of him, amen? He knew before he even saw him in the natural, he saw in the spirit, amen, that there is a man. He is climbing up a tree. He is making a complete fool of himself just to be able to see Jesus. You know what that shows? Stop trying to do things when people are looking. I'm mad at Pastor, go back to your iPad. See, sometimes the only time we'll start serving and doing things is when somebody comes around. Oh. Shadaraba, you're speaking in tongues. If they don't notice you're doing this, you make it loud. I'm sorry. I'm just over here serving the Lord. Sorry about that. But then when they leave, like, okay, I can stop this fiasco. This facade. See, what you do when no one else is watching is what Jesus sees. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Listen, when you go out of your way to look at Jesus, Jesus will go out of his way to look at you. Come on, that was good. It's even up there, my God. Come on, y'all. That was pretty good. All right, anyway. So think about this. Of all the people, remember crowds, Jesus, the rock star, everyone wants to be near him. Of all the people calling out to Jesus, Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. What about the, that two fish, five of those miracles you did a little while ago? I'm hungry. Jesus, heal my body. Listen, people thought Jesus was like a health care plan. He thought, they thought Jesus was nothing more than a soup kitchen. Jesus, feed me. Jesus, take care of me. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. But of all the people calling out to him, jockeying for position, elbowing each other, get away. I want to get to Jesus. It was Zacchaeus that he called out to. Why Zacchaeus? I'm glad you asked. Because like Bartimaeus last week, his desperation set him apart from anyone else. How many other people were in that true with Zacchaeus? None. None. Nobody, amen, thought that I'm going to go out of my way, get crazy, get radical, just to get a look at this man. And I love this. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, a notorious sinner that people called him. But you know one thing about Jesus that I love, and you need to love this right now, because Jesus has a way of looking past our past. He has a way. Because listen, in the natural, if we would have seen this man climbing up a tree, he still would have known this is a thief climbing up a tree. This was a bad man, bad reputation. He's a thief. He steals money. He's a low character. Why would I call out to this man and all the other people that are crying out to me? Why would I call out to this man? Because this man was desperate. And Jesus has a way of looking past our past. Ain't you, ain't you glad that God can look past your past this morning? Ain't you glad? Because listen, as people, we always keep that thing in our back pocket. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrong, but we got a hard time scratching it off. We pull, we pull our notepad out real quick. Listen, September 13, 1993. You remember what you did? Remember what you did to me? We don't remember, but you do because you wrote it down. You got it notarized. I'm going to make sure. Come on, somebody. So he has a way of looking past our past. The things we judge people on, and we do judge people, whether you try to or not, and shame on us. But the things we judge people on, Jesus don't care about. He's about giving hope. He's not, listen, I'm not saying that we get saved and keep living the same life, but this man didn't know Jesus. 
So he wasn't going to hold his past sins and past records against him to a new life. Imagine a new person walking into church and we're asking him all these questions. Okay, we need to take your temperature. Now, what'd you do last night? I thought, this was, no, 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 what'd you do last night? Okay. Well, I don't know if I can give you admittance into this church. Ain't you glad that God ain't like that? He, he wants the broken. He wants the ones that are messed up. He wants that, amen? Because again, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. So Jesus, what he does is this. He looks at the overlooked. He identifies the misidentified. And he notices the unnoticed. Because Zacchaeus positioned himself postured himself because he was willing to make a fool of himself and look crazy he got the attention of God and Jesus didn't say I want to go to your house he said I must go to your house that's a big difference what was going on there was an obligation in his spirit I must be with you I must go to your home amen because what he was doing was this no one else around knew what he was doing but when he said I must do this he knew that when he went to Zacchaeus' house some strongholds were going to be broken mindsets are going to be shattered amen things are going to happen there's going to be a shift cultural norms of the day amen will go out the window he knew what he was doing listen Jesus didn't do what he wanted to do even though he was Jesus he didn't do because it feels right he did it because his father told him to he said, everything I do, my father's told me to do. I don't just do what I want to do. I do it because my father gave me direction. So when he said, I must be in your house, that means that God in heaven was telling his son, you got to go to his house. You got to go to his house. Amen. Something's about to happen. And the Bible says in verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Listen, when Jesus shows up in your house, are you still excited? Put that up. Put it up. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Lord. I wasn't expecting you right now. Kids, get right. But this man, notorious sinner, there was an excitement and there was a joy to have Jesus come to his house. But the people, say the people, were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. See, listen, people who don't have the heart of God, the crowds that even though they wanted to get close to him, didn't really know him. I'm about to go somewhere. See, they didn't care about this man's hunger. They didn't care about his desperation. They saw him climb. They seen him run past everybody with his little legs. They seen him go up the tree. But they didn't care. They didn't say, he's really, he's really trying. They didn't, see, they didn't see his hunger. They didn't see his desperation. All they knew was thief, sinner, task collector, low character. And of all the people Jesus would choose to have lunch with him, he chose the, listen, we're, we're, we ain't perfect, the people saying, but dang, this guy? He literally chose the worst of the worst. And I can imagine people in the crowd What's wrong with me? I'm better than him. I'm better than that guy. Come on. I've done some good things. I gave a dollar to that guy the other day. Come on. 
only had $85 with me. I gave a dollar to that guy. Why wouldn't Jesus have lunch with me? I got carne asada and fideo. I'm hooked up. <laughs> this guy probably ain't got nothing. It's tax collector. I want, I want to have lunch with him. And you got to think about, this is the same crowd elbowing each other for position, trying to get close to him. Now they're mad at him. It's Jesus. He must not really, ah, he must not really hear from God. Maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe he's, because if he knew what kind of person that guy is, he wouldn't be hanging out with him. What, 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 what are you doing hanging out with somebody like that? Listen, Jesus was not the seeker sensitive pastor. Come on. He, listen, he, he, he's quick to clear out a crowd. See, we love crowds. Come on, everybody, come around me. Okay, now what? I just want you around me. I got a crowd. Whoa. Somebody take a picture real quick before they leave. Now I can post it on Instagram and show people I had a big crowd. But Jesus in John chapter 6 seen the big crowd. Saw the ones that were wanting that free health care and free lunch. And he said this. See, all y'all eating. But unless you eat my flesh... What? Unless you drink my blood, you can't be a disciple. Yeah. And the Bible says that they all start questions of what is he talking about? Sounds like a vampire or something. What is he talking about? And the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, that they all departed and left. Listen, people would have looked at the last remaining 12 and whispered, don't leave. Please, don't leave. <laughs> Please, don't embarrass me like that. Everyone else just left. Guys, don't, don't stay. Stop. You don't have to drink my flesh. You don't have to do it. Stay. But he turned to the other 12 and said, you want to go too? You know why? Because he wasn't interested and consumers. He wanted disciples. He wasn't interested in men and women who wanted to take from him and pull from him. He wanted people that would be disciples who wanted to lay down their own life and follow him. Oh, this is good this morning. He wasn't a seeker-sensitive pastor. You know what? You need to understand this. Watch this. When you have something to offer, there will always be crowds. Let, let Chipotle be giving away free burritos. <laughs> Lying around the building for a free burrito. I'm, I've seen it. I ain't patient enough. I'll go by, no, but I ain't, ain't worth a burrito. I'll go get a burrito from somewhere else. It ain't that good. But people were literally wrapped around buildings for something free. So watch this. When you have something to offer, there will always be crowds, but not everyone in the crowd has the right motives for why they're there. Yeah. Not all, listen, not all the people there have your heart, have the right motives, have a right reason for being there. Why do so many people walk away in John chapter 6? Because their motives are wrong. No more fish? No more bread? No more bread? 
Jeez, my leg hurts. No more healings? Then, then, watch this. Then what value are you to me? Can you still find value in God when he don't get you what you want? Is God still valuable to you when he didn't heal you yet? Is God still valuable when he hadn't restored that thing yet? Is God, come on somebody, is God still valuable even though the things you wanted because we're a give me, give me generation? What if God didn't give you what you wanted? Is he still valuable? See, God is always valuable because he gave the thing no one else can give you, salvation and new life. Apart from God, we are nothing, amen? So listen, if God chooses not to heal you, at least he saved you. If God chose not to give you that money, at least he saved you. He's always valuable because he can give you what no one else can ever give you. I was on my way to hell until Jesus. The Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 8 that come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. See, a lot of times we always say that first portion of what James says, come close to God and God will come to you. But that ain't it. That ain't all of it. Yeah, you got to come close to God because if not, God can't come close to you. But at the end of the day, you still got to wash your hands, especially now. Hand sanitizer, wash your hands. Cough like that. Don't do this. Don't hide. Come on. Wash your hands, you sinners. All right, and then purify your hearts, meaning don't just wash your hands, wash your heart. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So the people who got mad that Jesus wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus had divided hearts. Their heart was divided, amen? It wasn't 100% on God because some of the portion of their percentage of their heart was on what he could do for them. When's the last time you said, God, I'm going to ask you for nothing. I want you to ask me for something. When's the last time you said, I'm not here to get something. I'm not here to give something. The Bible says in verse 8 of our text, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Listen, the math don't add up. If I took... 100% away from somebody and I'm committing to get 400% back that means I will go into the negative because I want my life to be a positive now watch this on the way to Jerusalem before he healed Bartimaeus and gave him vision before he had this encounter with Zacchaeus he encountered another wealthy man the Bible calls him a ruler and Jesus told him sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor and follow me Jesus won't ask that of everyone, but he asked it of this ruler because he knew that when I asked you to give your possessions, sell your possessions, give it to the board, he knew he had to do that. Why? Because he knew that the possessions possessed him. He knew, amen, that your possessions possess you. So in order to be free from possessions, you got to give it all up. So he didn't ask everyone that, but this man, he asked him to sell your possessions because the possessions possessed him. The man was unwilling. The Bible says he left away in sorrow. Now listen, Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus He didn't ask him to do that. He didn't ask him, you need to make restitution. You need to make things right. He offered it. 
You know why? Because when you get a new relationship with God and you understand grace and mercy, and you understand that I've been forgiven of all my sins, I've been washed clean, I'm a new creation, the old me has passed away, I'm a new man, new woman, then you understand that conviction begins to come for the wrongs. Everybody gets weird when they're convictions. Nobody wants to be convicted. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is a good thing because conviction is that little warning in your head saying, no, ah, ah, ah. don't do it, ah, ah. turn away, ah, stop looking. Ah. That's conviction. Conviction is like, you know, that referee in the game. Out of bounds, get back in bounds. You, you strayed. You're somewhere you shouldn't be. Come on. So, so, thank you. So, yeah, so he knew that conviction was a good thing. And but listen, when you have that godly conviction, you, Jesus don't have to say nothing. Jesus didn't say, come on, man, get their money back. You're a thief, give it back. He said, no, I want to do this because this relationship with you has made me understand and see, amen, that the wealth of this world is not all there is. I don't care about money no more, amen, because the Bible says, listen, we will serve, you know, you can't serve both God and mammon, meaning money. You can't do both. You can't be a slave to your money, uh, 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 you know, wanting more money, more of this, more of that. You can't be a slave to that and still serve God. Again, your loyalty has been divided. You can't do both, Amen. But the moment you say, I want to serve God and only God, you don't care about the money part because you know the money part will be taken care of. God will take care of you, amen, because the Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you. So that way I ain't got to worry about nothing, man. My God has me. He'll take care of the lilies in the field, the sparrows in the air. He takes care of all of them. Solomon said, look at them, man. They're, I mean, they, Jesus said, look, they're, 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 the, the things that God has created, they, man, they're, they're clothed better than Solomon. The birds in the air, they're taken care of. You ever seen a bird in the air tripping? You ever seen a bird like, man, it's hard. Hard times, man. This is hard out here for a bird. <laughs> you ever seen a bird tripping about the mortgage payment? I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just don't know. Is there another, I mean, are we going to be able to buy milk for the, I don't, I don't know. Worms are getting expensive. I don't know if I can feed my kid. No birds. <laughs> the answer is no. You don't see birds like, I'm going to take myself out. It's just too hard up here. And you don't see that. I try to jump off a bunch of times, but I keep flying. I just can't do it no more. Right? So if God, what he's saying is this. If God can take care of lilies and birds, and he made us as a crown of his creation, can't he take care of us? Come on, can't he take care of us? We're the only creation that worries all the time. We're the only ones in this old existence that God created that worries all the time. Nothing else worries. Went to the zoo the other week with Thomas. I didn't see none of the animals like having a hard time. They're good, man. They just run around, have fun. It's good. Because they ain't got that weighing on their heart that house is going to work out. And neither should we. We shouldn't have everything weighing on us all the time. How's it going to work out, man? Put your trust in God. Put your faith in God, amen? See, when you worry, that shows that I'm trusting me and my faith is in me. And me can't make it. Me can't do it. That's why I'm worried all the time. But the moment I start trusting God, I'm like, God, it's in your hands now. He said, well, listen, which of you worrying as another day to your life? If anything, it robs you of a day. All right, so listen. 
Zacchaeus said, I will give four times. If I've stolen from you, I will give four times as much back to them, right? And understand this. This is, what, this is what we need to understand, that change does not come before an encounter with Jesus Christ. It comes after the encounter with Jesus Christ. Hear me. You, so many people, let me, let me get some things right, then I'll come to church. We'll never see you. You'll never come. Change does not happen before an encounter with Jesus Christ. It happens after the encounter with Jesus Christ. So, so if you say, I got to get this together, and let me get some things right, and let me do this, and I'll come to church, stop doing that. It is not up to you to fix you. You can't fix you. But the moment you say, God, here I am, and all of my junk, all my sin, all my transgression, every one of my iniquities, here I am. And God says, that's the way I wanted you to come. That's the way I needed you to come. I didn't want you to try to get it right and then come. Come the way you are. It's only in this modern American Christianity we get this old weird thing that I got to buy a new suit and I got to get a new outfit. Then I got to do this, cut my hair and all this stuff. Then I can come to church. Who cares how you come? I don't care if a person who don't know God comes in high. We ain't that church like, there's something wrong with him. We ain't that church. I don't care if somebody who don't know God comes in drunk, loaded. I don't care because they came to church. Do you know how many places they could have went and they came to church? That's what we want, man. We always talk about as Christians, we want to be a hospital to the sick. We want to be a lighthouse. We want to be a place of refuge. We say it and then someone comes in and they're high and they don't know how to not cuss because they ain't saved and we get all offended in our Christianity. But the truth is that's what we should want to see. Oh, I can't come back to that church. See what happened? Then we, listen, that's not, that's not the church for you. Because we want people to come in broken and messed up and hurting, man. That's the ones we need. Listen to me. Jesus responded in verse 9. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. When does salvation come? Salvation came because when he understood something, Jesus understood that you didn't change your life. You didn't change your life. I changed your life. You didn't want to get things right. You said, when I have my encounter with God, then I'm going to get things right. That's salvation, amen? Salvation is more than I said a prayer. Salvation is more than that. Guys, go ahead and come on. It's become a distraction. Take him out. Thomas? Salvation has come to this house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Amen. Take him out. Go ahead and pray with him, guys. Listen. This notorious tax collector. Everybody pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to that. I rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of distraction right now. Listen, this notorious tax collector. Jesus said, not just a son of Abraham, a true son of Abraham. You know why I said that? He was directing this to all the religious people who were listening because all the religious people thought, I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a son of Abraham. Who are you to say that? I'm a son of Abraham. And he called this notorious tax collector a true son of Abraham. I I love when Jesus just tries a little bit to upset people. Ruffle feathers. Get them them a little angry, amen? 
Now watch this. Turn to Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. If you have your Bible, if you have your devices, whatever you do. So listen, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. I'm, I'm bringing it down. Jesus is teaching in the temple at this moment, okay? And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 to 32, he says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied the first. He's talking to the religious people. The Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Let me read that again because I just like, I like saying that. <laughs> I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors. That's what we're talking about this morning. And prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. You people in church, you religious people, you, you self-righteous people. For John the Baptist came and showed you the way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you don't even know when you saw these tax collectors and prostitutes getting saved, you refused to believe them and repent of your sins. Now watch this. The man in this parable represents God. The sons represent both a sinner and a religious self-righteous person. The son at first said no, but then got convicted and decided to go to work in the vineyard. He was a sinner. He was your tax collector, your prostitute. He was your drug addict. He was all these, amen? And they may have rejected initially, but they repented and then accepted the call of God, right? The son had said, I'll go. I'll do it. And then when the father turned around, I ain't going. That was the Pharisee, the religious person who accepted the call, but lived in constant disobedience to actually live out the call. Jesus is saying that corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before religious people. And you know, maybe you're new, you understand this whole concept. Well, I thought we we're supposed to be religious. No, 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 we're not supposed to be religious. We're supposed to be relational. Right. To be religious, that, that means nothing more than I go through the motions. That's religion. I'm at church, I'm, I'll give, I'll go on outreach, I'll do things like that, but it's all going through the motion. My heart is not with God, I just do it because I, that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. That's religion. And we're not called to be religious, we're called to have a relationship. You ask any husband, any wife, hey man, show me a relationship where they just go through the motions. No heart behind it. It's never going to be a good relationship. On the outside, oh, they seem cool. But on the inside, they're separated. And this is the relationship God is calling us to have, not to be one that looks good on the outside. Because listen, who cares how your relationship looks on the outward? Because the truth is that shouldn't matter to us. Because we can pat you on the back and say, hey, man, good job. It looks like you're having a good relationship with God and all these things are good. But then God says, I don't know you. I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I did this in the name. And God says, I don't know who you are. So we don't want to be religious. And the reason that Jesus spoke about tax collectors and prostitutes is because these were the most despised people of the day. 
If you looked at a tax collector or a prostitute, they looked down on them, they hated them, they despised them. But Jesus used these two as an example, amen, of those that are getting right with God and those that are not. So again, it shows you, it don't matter how you come to God. All that matters is that you come to God. Last scripture, last scripture. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. It says, And Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Let me read that one more time. Had great confidence in their own righteousness. There's none righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. So when you get confident in your own righteousness, how? Because you don't have no righteousness. The only way we're righteous is because of a righteous God. So there's none righteous, no, not one. So they scorned everyone else. The Bible says in verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Here we go again. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Watch this. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that task collector. Imagine being in church praying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a thief, that I'm not a liar, that I'm not selling my body, that I'm not out here doing things I shouldn't be doing. And more importantly, God, I thank you that I'm not like that person. This is a good girl. (laughs) You were just right closer to me. I thank you that I'm not like that. And you're pointing at somebody in church. I think I'm not like that guy or that girl. That I'm so, God, I'm just set apart. Thank you I ain't like them. Come on, you think God honors that kind of prayer? Watch this. He said, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. On the outside, that's what you should be doing. But listen, Jesus said this about the Pharisees. You are adorned and beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. What, what if you went to someone's house and they invited you over for dinner? What if I invited you over? Say, Ranisha, we want to invite you guys over for dinner. You're like, oh, good. I get to hang out with my pastors. Go to the house. And you come to my house. And I gave you a cup. Right? You got a nice cup. It's a Yeti. So it stays cool the whole dinner. Those big $20 cups, all right? And you're like, oh, good, you know? And then you get your drink, and you're about to pour it in your Yeti cup, and you look inside like, whoa. There's like old milk in here. And it's chunky. It looks a little like cottage cheese. And then I tell you, oh, oh, well, hey, no problem. I was so concerned what my outside of the cup looked like. I didn't give special attention to the inside. And listen, Christian, we can be like that sometime. We can take care of the outside. We can get our outside all together. I went to the barber. I went to the hairstylist. Got my nails did, my hair did. I got everything good. I got a new dress. I got a new outfit. I got a new suit. I got a new shoe. I got all these stuff going on. Uh, uh, I even got new socks. You can't see them, but they're, they're colorful. Hey, if you're in the socks, that's cool. I can't do it. No one sees my socks. Anyway, I got these new socks, all these stuff's going on. But on the inside are hearts. And just imagine if we took more care and spent more time 
on taking care of the inside than we did the outside, what God could do with our life. So I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Sounds like that's the kind of guy you want in church. But the Bible says in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance, meaning I, he didn't even want to get close. He didn't want to get close. If he could have been outside, he would have been outside. He's the one who maybe stepped into the door and just sitting there in the corner because there was so much shame and guilt in his life. He wouldn't come into the altar and point at people, say, I'm glad I'm not like this. The task collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Can you be with me? He wasn't praying like this. He was praying like this. Yeah. In the back. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. So listen to me. You have the task, I mean, I'm sorry, the Pharisee who's up in the front, head up, judging people. And then you got the tax collector in the back of the church beating his chest in sorrow and pain and just begging God to have mercy on him. It says in verse 14, I'll tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. I mean, if I had a mic, I would drop it. <laughs> Just right there. I don't have it. It's on my head. Come on. This is where you get the heart of God for real. This is where you get the heart. This is where you understand you don't have to pretend. You don't have to be a fake and a phony in church. You can come the way you are and be real. Because no one's like, listen, we all know we're sinners. No one's expecting you to be nothing like, come on, man, we know you. We don't have to come in pretending and acting like I got it all together. And we don't have to do that, man. Listen, if all, if all places, listen, you can go to work and pretend, go, do, go have fun, go, go, go crazy. But when you come to church, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, praise God. No, you're not. We're so quick with those Christian comebacks. Well, I'm good, praise God, thank the Lord. You got it down. When was the last time someone asked you how you're doing and you really said, struggling, struggling today, but I'm here. I'm in God's house, amen. I'm kind of dealing with some things. I've been dealing with this, you know. I, I was tempted to do this, you know, listen. And I'm not saying you got to go around and tell everybody what's going on. And I'm not even saying you got to pour out everything when someone asks how you're doing, but you can be real and say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. Pray for me. Instead of pretending I got it all together. Jesus said, which one of them went back home justified? You know what the sad thing about it is? The Pharisee probably thought he was justified. That's the scariest thing it is. Because think about Samson. I'll get up like I've done before. And I'll rip off everything and I'll fight, I'll do, but did not know the Spirit of God had left him. It's a scary thing to think we're right, to think we're justified. 
So instead of me, I'm the pastor of this church, so instead of me always thinking I'm right and justified and righteous in my own eyes, I'd rather be like that task. I'd rather beat on my chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, for I'm, I'm nothing but a sinner, amen? Nothing but a sinner saved by the grace of God. I may be the pastor, I may be a leader, but Lord, I'm still a sinner saved by grace. So Lord, be merciful. Be merciful to me. I don't want to feel like I got it all together. The moment that happens, I need to go back to my knees. And Lord, have mercy because I thought I had it all together. Shame on me. Stand your feet with me this morning. Thank you so much for listening to the Cure Church Lead Summit podcast. If you would like to partner with us, please visit our website at www.thecurechurchls.com and click the Give tab. We thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, Jesus is the cure.